Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Seven seven three eight one three eight one one eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. Well, there's a lot going on tonight. We'll try and cover all of it. I watched part of this hearing again today. I had to shut it off again. There's this guy, the former acting deputy attorney general. There's something about him I really do not like. Donahue, I believe, is his name. One of the things he said is another fellow, Jeff Clark, and I don't know any of these people personally. I've met Rosen on one occasion. That's it. He said Jeff Clark had never handled a criminal case. He was unqualified to be attorney general. I don't know if he was qualified or unqualified. As I said, I know nothing about the man, but I do know this. Was Robert Kennedy qualified to be attorney general when he was 34 years old? He never handled a criminal case. So as soon as I heard that, I said, this guy's cocky as hell. And again, you have testimony that's not challenged. No questions can be raised, even a simple one like that. But that's not really what I want to start off with. The Supreme Court today, whenever I see a decision written by Clarence Thomas, I take my time and I read it. Because the man is brilliant. And he actually believes in the Constitution. So at a 6-3 decision today, in a case called New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, Inc. et al. versus Superintendent of New York State Police Bruin. So let me read you the syllabus, because I can't read all 135 pages and keep you as listeners. State of New York makes it a crime to possess a firearm without a license, whether inside or outside the home. An individual who wants to carry a firearm outside his home may obtain an unrestricted license to, quote, 
having carry, unquote, a concealed pistol, <laughs> pistol or revolver, if he can prove that, quote, proper cause exists. That's the key phrase. Proper cause exists. That's what's in the New York law. An applicant satisfies the proper clause requirement only if he can demonstrate a special need for self-protection distinguishable from that of the general community. Now, that's almost impossible. Petitioners Brandon Koch and uh, Robert Nash are adult law-abiding New York residents who both applied for unrestricted licenses to carry a handgun in public based on their generalized interest in self-defense. The state denied both of their applications for unrestricted licenses, allegedly because Koch and Nash failed to satisfy the so-called proper cause requirement. Petitioners then sued respondents, state officials who oversee the processing of licensing applications, for declaratory and injunctive relief, alleging that respondents violated their Second and Fourteenth Amendment rights by denying their unrestricted license applications for failure to demonstrate a unique need for self-defense. The district court dismissed petitioner's complaint and the Court of Appeals affirmed. In other words, they threw it out, both courts. Both courts relied on the Second Circuit's prior decision in Kalaski versus County of Westchester, which had sustained New York's proper cause standard, holding that the requirement was substantially related to the achievement of an important government interest. And here we summarize the holding. New York's proper cause requirement violates the 14th Amendment by preventing law-abiding citizens with ordinary self-defense needs from exercising their Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms in public for self-defense. In a prior case, District of Columbia versus Heller, the court held that the Second and Fourteenth Amendments protect an individual right to keep and bear arms for self-defense. And under Heller, when the Second Amendment's plain text covers an individual's conduct, the Constitution <laughs> presumptively protects that conduct. And to justify a firearm regulation, the government must demonstrate that the regulation is consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation. They go on. Historical analysis can sometimes be difficult and nuanced, but reliance on history to inform the meaning of constitutional text is more legitimate and more admirable than asking judges to make difficult empirical judgments about the costs and benefits of firearm restrictions, especially given their lack of expertise in the field. Now, that is a big point that nobody's pointing out. He's saying, look, originalism versus activism, it's our job to look at the text and try and discern what was intended. Not to sit around and say, you know, we think this makes sense or we think that doesn't make sense. Federal courts tasked with making difficult empirical judgments regarding firearm regulations under the banner of intermediate scrutiny, which is a concocted, completely phony standard the court has created, often defer to the determinations of legislatures. While judicial deference to legislative interest balancing is understandable and elsewhere appropriate, it is not deference that the Constitution demands here. 
The Second Amendment, quote, is the very product of an interest balancing by the people, unquote. It surely elevates above all interests the right of law-abiding, responsible citizens to use arms for self-defense from the Heller case. So the test that the court set forth in Heller and applies today requires courts to assess whether modern firearms regulations are consistent with the Second Amendment's text and historical understanding. And by the way, what I'm doing now, reading you the syllabus. Uh, Most hosts won't do that because it's just not spicy enough. But for me, it's spicy to the 10th degree and to you too. So we know exactly what they're talking about. Because this has to do with what? Your Bill of Rights, your liberty. Of course, the regulatory challenges posed by firearms today are not always the same as those that preoccupied the founders in 1791 or the Reconstruction generation in 1868. But the Constitution can and must apply to circumstances beyond those the founders specifically anticipated, even though its meaning is fixed according to the understandings of those who ratified it. told you, when you get a majority opinion from Clarence Thomas, any opinion out, you really got to read it. Indeed, the court recognized in Heller at least one way in which the Second Amendment's historically fixed meaning applies to new circumstances. Its reference to arms does not apply only to those arms of existence in the 18th century. And he goes on. To be clear, I'm skipping around a little bit. Even if a modern day regulation is not a dead ringer for historical precursors, it still may be analogous enough to pass constitutional muster. For example, courts can use analogies to longstanding laws and so forth. Having made the constitutional standard endorsed in Heller more explicit, the court applies that standard to the case before it. Number one, it is undisputed that petitioners to ordinary law-abiding adult citizens are part of the people whom the Second Amendment protects. And no party disputes that handguns are weapons in common use today for self-defense. The court has little difficulty concluding that the plain text of the Second Amendment protects Koch's and Nash's proposed course of conduct, carrying handguns publicly for self-defense. Nothing in the Second Amendment's text draws a home public distinction with respect to the right to keep and bear arms and the definition of bear naturally encompasses public carry. Moreover, the Second Amendment guarantees an individual right to possess and carry weapons in case of confrontation. And confrontation can certainly take place outside the home. Number two, the burden then falls on respondents, that would be the New York State, to show that New York's proper cause requirement is consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearms regulation. To do so, respondents appeal to a variety of historical sources from the late 1200s to the early 1900s. But when it comes to interpreting the Constitution, not all history is created equal. Constitutional rights are enshrined with the scope they were understood to have when the people adopted them. The Second Amendment was adopted in 1791, the 14th Amendment in 1868. Historical evidence that long predates or postdates either time may not illuminate the scope of the right. With these principles in mind, 
The court concludes the respondents have failed to meet their burden to identify an American tradition justifying New York's proper cause requirement. So New York creates this new requirement. You have to have a proper cause in order to carry the gun that you have a right to carry because you've already been cleared background checks in New York that you have a right to own, that you have to leave it in the house and you can't take it outside the house. Respondents, substantial, okay, he's, so he takes down uh, what the arguments are, the common law offenses, uh, and so forth. All the look at history, the constitutional right to bear arms in public for self-defense is not a second-class right subject to an entirely different body of rules than other Bill of Rights guarantees. The exercise of other constitutional rights does not require individuals to demonstrate to government officers some special need. The Second Amendment right to carry arms in public for self-defense is no different. New York's proper cause requirement violates the 14th Amendment by preventing law-abiding citizens with ordinary self-defense needs from exercising their right to keep and bear arms in public. Opinion delivered by the, to the, uh, of the court, Thomas. He's joined by Roberts, Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. Now I'll explain further what all this means. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. By the way, I've been pretty critical of uh, Annie McCarthy and even John Turley because I don't feel they have raised enough the issue of the opposition and questioning other witnesses. But I have to say today they did a pretty good job, actually. So I give them credit where credit is due. All right, back. There's a very good summary of this by Charles Cook at National Review. In New York Rifle versus Bruin, the court affirmed that gun rights are due the same protection as all other constitutional rights. It's not only the most important Second Amendment ruling in recent times, it is potentially the most important Second Amendment ruling in American history. And one of the reasons for that is its author, Clarence Thomas. For all the brouhaha, the question at hand was rather straightforward. Can the state of New York require that applicants for gun carry permits 
demonstrate a special need for self-protection distinguishable from that of the general community? Or is New York obliged by the Constitution to offer a shall-issue regime of the sort that 43 of the other 49 states have adopted? So the left is trying to suggest this is some kind of a radical decision because they're nuts. That's what they are. They don't believe in individual liberty except when it comes to their ideology. By a 63 vote, the justices decided that the latter approach is required. In the United States, Clarence Thomas' majority opinion concluded authorities must issue concealed carry licenses whenever applicants satisfy certain threshold requirements. Without granting licensing officials discretion to deny licenses based on a perceived lack of need or, syllab- or suitability. So those of us who have carry permits, you have to meet the requirements for a carry permit. A bureaucrat or a judge is not free to sit there and say, you know, you don't really need this gun. You don't really need this gun. And while there is nothing illegal about America's existing state-level permitting systems, in other words, they can permit them, they can place some requirements on them, those systems may not be mere smokescreens for outright prohibition or unequal protection or unacceptable delay. We do not rule out, Thomas added in a footnote, any constitutional challenges to shall issue regimes where, for example, long wait times and processing license applications or exorbitant fees deny ordinary citizens the right to public carry. So states are free within a range to make decisions about having weapons, but they can't have the ability and delegate it to a bureaucrat or a judge or so forth to say, well, look, you don't really need it. That's not good enough. As Justice Alito was keen to note, the holding decides nothing about who may lawfully possess a firearm or the requirements that must be met to buy a gun, nor does it decide anything about the kinds of weapons that people may possess. So the bottom line, writes Cook, New York is allowed to exclude carry permit applications on a categorical basis. For example... The applicant has a felony conviction, but not on a subjective one. For example, the applicant doesn't need a gun in the view of the determining officer. That's all it did. That's all it did. A very modest opinion, very reasoned opinion, built on the prior Supreme Court cases and so forth. But on the other hand, you can't allow states, particularly blue states, to just willy-nilly deny people the right to have these weapons. We'll be right back. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today 
at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillstone, I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. It's your daily adult dosage of the Constitution. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now at 877-381-3811. What happened, ladies and gentlemen, is that the circuit courts basically ignored the Supreme Court's decision several years ago written by uh, Justice Scalia in the Heller case. And these circuit courts started to create their own tests, a two-tier test. A two-tier test. And what Thomas says, and the majority says here, is there's no two tiers. That's one tier too many. There's one test. The Constitution, basically. And uh, as Alito notes... The holding decides nothing about who may lawfully possess a firearm, the requirements that must be met to buy a gun, nor does it decide anything about the kinds of weapons that people may possess. In other words, that's an issue for another day. But once people are applicants for a weapon and they are proved to receive a weapon, then there's no reason they can't take it outside their house to protect themselves as much as they protect themselves inside a house. And you cannot simply leave it to bureaucrats to make decisions on a one-off basis. If they say, as I said, from the opinion, felons can't have it and so forth, that's one thing. But to say, you have not demonstrated to me why you need this. You're not required to demonstrate why you need that or why you need free speech or why you need the freedom to exercise your faith or any of those things. That's the point. That's a secondary level of examination that the state has no power to conduct. It's a brilliant decision. As these circuit courts were weaseling their way out of the Heller decision, What Thomas tried to do here with with absolute genius is slam the door shut and say, okay, that's enough of that. You don't need special need demonstration for self-protection, distinguishable from the general community. Because who knows what the hell that means. And uh, as Alito wrote in his concurrence, the exercise of other constitutional rights does not require individuals to demonstrate to government officers some special need. Second Amendment right to carry arms in public for self-defense is no different. New York's so-called proper uh, cause requirement violates the 14th Amendment by preventing law-abiding citizens with ordinary self-defense needs from exercising their right to keep and bear arms in public. And again, what they're saying is it doesn't mean you can't have restrictions. But number one, the point of restrictions cannot be the point to just violate the Second Amendment. That is because you're a gun control fanatic. Any more than you can violate free speech or freedom of the press or freedom of association or the free exercise of religion and on and on and on. And you can't leave those decisions to an individual bureaucrat or group of bureaucrats. That's number one. Number two. 
once you pass that threshold, that the regulation really isn't a subterfuge to violate the Second Amendment, and people apply, and people are therefore able to purchase a weapon, you can't then say, okay, now that you have the weapon, you can't take it outside. Well, why not? Well, you haven't demonstrated to us that you have a need to protect yourself outside. And Thomas says, well, that's a bridge too far. Because in New York it says, you haven't demonstrated. Well, how are you supposed to demonstrate that? Which is why so few people, number one, get a carry permit. And number two, can actually defend themselves. Very, very important. It goes right by the book, right by the Constitution. And of course, the three justices, uh, Breyer's opinion is just full of emotion, endless statistics. Uh, and of course, Alito in his concurrence just slams him down one after another, after another, and after another. Like, what does that have to do with anything? You can't tie that to something that's not even permitted. I mean, you had what took place in Buffalo. And uh, so what does that have to do, number one, with the Constitution? And number two, what does it have to do with these mass murders you're talking about? How many mass murders have been committed by people with carry permits? I don't know that any have. Have they, Mr. Producer? I'm not aware of any. In fact, how many how many criminal offenses have been committed, I wonder, by people who lawfully carry weapons, carry permits, versus how many shootings or crimes have been stopped by people who carry these weapons? These are, of course, statistics we're never free to receive because they don't fit the narrative. And now we're waiting... For the big decision. The anticipation that uh, Roe v. Wade will be reversed or overruled or however you want to phrase it. It could well be tomorrow. Whenever it is, it is. Uh, We will talk about that further, of course. But the point is, if it's anything like the, the draft that was leaked... It's another brilliant decision, this time from Alito. One of the things I notice, by the way, one of the things I notice is that the, uh, the true blue originalists on the court, Alito and Thomas in particular, Gorsuch most of the time, are so much smarter than the liberals than the activists on the court. So much smarter than Sotomayor and Kagan and Breyer. I think it's fair to say, at least from my perspective, that Sotomayor is the probably the dumbest of the bunch. Doesn't mean she's dumb. I'm just saying the dumbest of the bunch. As I read these opinions, and Alito... And Thomas are the smartest of the bunch. And the uh, 
the chief justice is neither the dumbest nor the smartest. He is the most conniving of the bunch. That's right, I said it, conniving of the bunch. So we shall see how this turns out. So far, they went right by the Constitution when it came to uh, the school issue in Maine. They went right, I mean, with the Constitution. They went right with the Constitution when it came to the Second Amendment. And that was a complicated case, brilliantly, brilliantly handled by Clarence Thomas. And I would add uh, Alito's concurring, but Thomas's opinion is absolute genius. It's hard to say that about the other side, that their opinions are absolute genius. Now, we get into a situation with our media where the vast majority of the people commenting on this decision haven't read it. Because they know what they think, and they're righteous, and everybody else is a loser. I mean, it's a long opinion, and there's a lot of dissenting, and there's some concurring and all the rest of it. And so you know by the time they heard what the decision was, these hosts on the Constipated News Network, on MSLSD, and elsewhere, hadn't actually had a chance to read or digest the opinion. They didn't care. Why? Because they don't care in the Bill of Rights, except their rights under the First Amendment, the freedom of the press. And of course, that's been demonstrated in these hearings. They don't care about the ability to confront your accuser. To have exculpatory, all we're getting are people's opinions and their own notes. You need to be able to challenge that, even in a legislative form, uh, forum. But not today. We're demonstrating that Liz Cheney. We're demonstrating today. Just remember the first, uh, the first hearing we demonstrated, uh, and then we demonstrated this, and then we proved that you haven't demonstrated or proved a damn thing because you're not being challenged. By anybody. And it's the second time this committee's brought up that I can count. I don't watch it all. An individual's right to assert. To assert that they don't want to testify. Second, you know, the. Uh, the right against self-incrimination. Why is that right in the Constitution? Why is that right in the Bill of Rights? Because the state, the federal government, or Congress, has a lot of power. A lot of power to threaten you. To create circumstances in which your words are used against you. And that's not an avenue towards getting to the truth. That's an avenue towards coercing a result. When you call somebody to testify, whether it is during a deposition or at a public hearing, when a committee of Congress calls somebody to testify, subpoenas them or threatens to subpoena them if they don't volunteer, quite frankly. And if you know that committee is plotting to make a criminal referral or debating it and if telling you that they view this as a quasi-criminal endeavor, even though it violates the Constitution... And if you don't testify, they're going to refer you for contempt of Congress. And under this politicized U.S. attorney in Washington and attorney general in Washington, they will literally charge you 
and in some cases seek to imprison you, well, then a lot of people show up and they plead the fifth because they're stuck, they're boxed in, and intentionally so. That's one of the reasons the Fifth Amendment is there. So today, as before, they felt it necessary to mention that this fellow Jeff Clark had pled the fifth, unlike the lawyers who were testifying and providing the narrative that the committee wanted unchallenged. Meaning, Clark must be a liar, but here we have these gentlemen who are patriots because they do what we want them to do. But I told you, this guy Donahue rubbed me the wrong way. He might be the nicest guy on the face of the earth. I don't know. I have no idea. I've never met him. I've never met Clark. I've never met these people. I thought Rosen was okay. But something about this guy Donahue. Particularly when he embellishes. When he said Jeff Clark wasn't qualified to be Attorney General. Because he never prosecuted a criminal case. He'd never been close to a grand jury. He'd never been this. He'd never been that. Our attorney generals, our attorneys general, don't have to have had criminal backgrounds. I don't know how many cases Bill Barr, criminal cases, Bill Barr prosecuted. None to my knowledge. But I could be wrong. doesn't really matter. I do know Robert Kennedy. His qualification, he was John Kennedy's brother. And by the way, did a hell of a lot to protect his brother while he was Attorney General of the United States at the DOJ. Now, oh, Mark, what did you do with that? I kept something to use almost as a footnote with you, and I am going to use it. A friend of mine, Spiridon, he sent me this from the Daily Beast Sometimes back, sometime back, written by Chris Matthews, who wrote an entire book on the Kennedys. And he, of course, he, he loved the Kennedys, sympathetic to the Kennedys. And when it came to Nixon, Matthews writes in the book, Ted Kennedy began pushing for the creation of a special prosecutor to look into Watergate. That, he made clear, was his price for getting Elliot Richardson, the Republican, approved by the Senate Judiciary Committee to be Attorney General. He rejected the names Richard <coughs> excuse me. He rejected the names Richardson put forward until he got the one he wanted, Archibald Cox. This is Chris Matthews. Cox had served Attorney General Robert Kennedy as Solicitor General. Before that had worked on Jack Kennedy's presidential campaign. Cox managed JFK's speech writing and research operation. Most importantly during the great debates with Richard Nixon. Kennedy demanded that Richardson give Archibald Cox a clear avenue to pursue his target, insisting that the special prosecutor be given unlimited money, unlimited time, and total protection from Nixon. He could not be fired except by Richardson himself, and only then in the event of extraordinary improprieties. And so Cox was appointed. A dear, dear close friend, political operative of the Kennedy family, to lead the special prosecutorial investigation of their enemy, Richard Nixon, President Nixon. 
Cox proceeded to fill his investigative staff with veterans of Bobby Kennedy's Justice Department of the 1968 presidential campaign. Of the 11 senior counsels Cox hired, seven had been associated with either Jack, Bobby, or Teddy Kennedy. The Watergate prosecution was going to be a Kennedy operation, and Richard Nixon couldn't do a damn thing about it. It's a quote-unquote. Doesn't it smell the same way with this committee? Doesn't it smell the same way with Merrick Garland? This U.S. attorney whose name I think is Graves. Yeah, it's starting to stink. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Let's, uh, Mr. Producer, let's play Kamala Harris. Cut one, go. We, the president, myself, many of us are deeply concerned and troubled by the Supreme Court's ruling today. Um, it, it, I believe, defies common sense and um, the Constitution of the United States. She says absolutely nothing about the substance. Nothing. She has no idea what the court ruled. Nothing. Biden has no idea what the court ruled. Nothing. It doesn't matter. Yes, the historical past, they say, oh, it's on the historical past. This is what Governor Nitwit says in New York, and Mayor Nitwit of New York says, oh, they talk about the historical past. Doesn't account for reality of today. Yes, it does. It says, you are such an incompetent boob, all of you, meaning these government ruling class officials, that you don't get to make decisions about what I can carry willy-nilly because you don't think I should. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello America, Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811, Nick Trainer. On Twitter, Nancy, excuse me, yeah, right, Liz Cheney four months ago 
when asked about uh, Democrats switching parties to vote for her in the state's August Republican primary. That's not something that I've contemplated, that I've organized, or that I will organize, she told the New York Slimes. Meanwhile, a few hours ago, Reed J. Epstein posts, citing the uh, New York Times, Liz Cheney is sending mail to Wyoming Democrats with instructions on how to switch parties to vote for her in the state's August primary. Oh, she's so ethical. She's a sleaze like all the other people on this committee. Now, let me go through this again so it's understandable. Not to you, of course, but to everybody else. The committee has no powers to be pursuing criminal cases. And yet on more than one occasion, members have said that's exactly their point. And their goal is Donald Trump. And in the shadows, they have 11 former federal prosecutors, apparently two former U.S. attorneys, who are trying to develop a case without challenge. And without the constitutional protections that witnesses normally get. And then referred over to the Department of Justice. And the Department of Justice has now made public its insistence that the committee give to it any information it has, particularly these deposition transcripts. So people are being set up from a criminal and constitutional perspective. Whatever you think of what took place is beside the point. I'm talking about process in our system. So people are now being set up by this committee, the prosecutors in the shadows, and you're seeing some, oh, publicly, their dissent between the two groups, the Department of Justice lawyers and the committee lawyers, and no, there isn't. They're colluding. They're working together. Now, how do we know this exactly? Well, we can read the tea leaves. There was a story that broke today that yesterday, a former DOJ official by the name of Jeffrey Clark had his home searched. As Fox covered the story, federal authorities searched the home of Jeffrey Clark, a former Justice Department official with President Trump's administration, An official with the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington confirmed to Fox News there was law enforcement activity in the vicinity of Clark's Lorton, Virginia residence on Wednesday, but would not say more. Clark's name is expected to come up in hearings with the House Select Committee investigating January 6th. Well, as you can see, that's exactly what happened. U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington has no comment regarding the nature of that activity or any particular individuals. Well, they don't have to because it was all said at the hearing today. Or Mr. Clark's name and reputation was utterly destroyed. Utterly destroyed. This is what Dershowitz means from his perspective about the Army McCarthy hearings, where people were accused of being communists, but there was no way to respond, except as he also said on this program, it's worse. Because there's no opposition, there's no opposite side to challenge what's taking place. 
So Mr. Clark had been subpoenaed to give a deposition and pled the fifth, for which he was ridiculed by the committee at the end of the hearing. But he pled the fifth for this very reason. Because he and his lawyers know that there's collusion going on between the prosecutors on this committee and the prosecutors in the U.S. Attorney's Office and those who are under Merrick Garland. Clark served as acting assistant attorney general for the civil division during Trump's final months in office, and colleagues have testified he was a quote-unquote true believer that the 2020 election has been stolen, according to NBC News. I have never heard from this guy, Clark. I don't even know what his voice sounds like yet. Everybody's taking their shots. Everybody's saying what he thinks, what he said, what he believed. This is the problem with a process like this. Clark reportedly flouted DOJ policy and met directly with the White House regarding election conspiracies rather than going through proper channels. And Clark's position is what? We have no idea. None. Quote, it's even more evident in hindsight, but at the time, I did think he's meeting with the president and now he wants to be briefed by the director of national intel on thermostats. Just what's going on here with Jeff Clark, former Trump appointed acting attorney general Jeffrey Rosen told the Judiciary Committee last year. You asked a question. Mr. Clark can't answer it, Mr. Rosen. Because he's imperiled right now. And you could also tell from what I was watching during the hearing that Rosen and Donahue and this other guy whose name I forget because it's forgettable really hated Clark. Hated him. Hated him. The January 6th committee is expected to highlight Clark's involvement in Trump's attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 election during upcoming hearings. This is the Fox report. The committee subpoenaed Clark in October. He refused to answer questions during testimony. That's not what happened. He pled the fifth. That's his constitutional right. That's his, every bit as much of the Constitution as the existence of these members of Congress and this committee. To protect people from exactly what's going on. The question should be, why does anybody have to assert the Fifth Amendment when they're being questioned by this committee? This committee could go to the Department of Justice and get some form of testimonial immunity. It's been done before. So a person like Clark, or I don't know who else, General Flynn and others, who are well-counseled, who know what they can and can't do in front of this committee, so they can speak freely. You can get testimonial immunity. North got it, which is why he was able to explain everything in front of the committee that was trying to destroy him, Ollie. So why didn't they give him that? Why didn't they try and give him it? Because they want these guys in prison. That's why. I don't know anything about Mr. Clark, but I'll tell you this. I know a lot about these committee members in this committee. And to trash this guy like he's some kind of mass murderer or some kind of terrorist, is just, it, I, I'm not into this, folks. I don't like these Salem witch trials. I don't like these Stalinist hearings, public public floggings, if you will. I can't, I just, I can't stand it. 
They say the committee has demonstrated. The committee has proven. Last time, the committee showed. What committee? Every one of these members had to be approved by Nancy Pelosi or they couldn't serve on this committee. And the one witness they won't call is Nancy Pelosi. And as I've said, if you think about this, they're getting into all kinds of things that really have nothing at all to do with what happened with the security breakdown on January 6th. This is an investigation of the Republican Party because you hear Liz Cheney and Kingsinger today, they're going off on the Republican Party and Republicans and so forth. They're going off on fellow Republican members of the House who they hate because they have a, they have a free shot here, folks. Cheney knows she's going to lose. Kingsinger's out. A free shot. They're taking, out, they're taking it out on this guy Perry. They're attacking this one and that one. And they have no way to rebut this. None. Except to show up in front of this very same committee and to expose themselves to potential criminal attack. Even if you don't commit a crime, you know, oh, he contradicted himself. Clearly, that's obstruction. Clearly, that's perjury. You know the game. If they were so cocksure about what they were presenting to the American people, if they were so certain about these, those witnesses who were testifying today, if they were so certain about what Bill Barr had said and all the rest of them had said, and maybe they are, then they wouldn't be afraid of a normal process in front of a normal committee hearing where there's at least another side, where there's other people testifying under oath under penalty of perjury, where there may be exculpatory explanations, information, even evidence. Documents introduced that this committee is not even shared with the American people. It's a railroad job. So why would this man, why would this man, Clark, have his house searched within 24 hours of this hearing in which he is the target of the hearing, Mr. Producer? Surely the committee and the U.S. Attorney's Office coordinated, colluded, if you will. What's the justification for that, ladies and gentlemen? They went into his house very, very early in the morning. The way his boss explains it, he was left on the street standing in his pajamas. This is what they do, humiliate Peter Navarro, humiliate Steve Bannon, humiliate Roger Stone, humiliate this guy. They didn't do that to any of Stephen Colbert's group. They don't do that with Democrats. Send in SWAT teams and all the rest. Apparently, according to a tweet, 12 federal law enforcement investigators showed up at this guy's house. A former top Justice Department official. Was he involved in embezzlement? No. Was he selling secrets to the enemy? No. Was he sleeping with the enemy like Swalberg or whatever the hell that puke's name is? Swalwell? No. What was he doing? 
What did he do? Oh, he was obstructing an election. The hell does that mean? The hell does that mean? Well, the timing isn't that a little curious? Of course it is. It demonstrates the coordination, again, between the prosecutors on this committee and the prosecutors, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and that main justice. They wave around the Constitution like they are defending the Constitution. They are abusing it every time they meet and do what they're doing. And that's the truth. Donald Trump wanted to overturn the election. Donald Trump was challenging the election. One thing I haven't gotten yet as I listen, even though they say, we looked into that and we looked into that. They said there's no systemic election fraud. Okay, fine. Fine. And how do you know that exactly? Well, we looked into this. We looked. No, 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 no. Did you have some office or some U.S. attorney or some criminal division unit or... Who is taking in all these complaints and how are they processed so quickly? Who did you speak to? We have a U.S. attorney in Philadelphia who says they blew him off. Now listen, folks, I brought that up on Fox. I've brought it up on Levin TV. I've brought it on behind this microphone. The little neo-Nazi organizations out there with their little websites have even mentioned it. So why is it not mentioned in the broader media? Because they don't want it to be mentioned. That's why. Here we have a piece at the Federalist by Jordan Boyd. Investigators, Pelosi responsible for the January 6th security breakdown at U.S. Capitol. Isn't this what this committee is supposed to be looking into? Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, shoulders much of the blame for the security breakdown at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, 2021. And today... They're smearing the hell out of Trump, and not once did a member say, but, you know, he did offer us the National Guard because there's nobody there to speak up. Nobody. There's nobody there to say anything. Nobody. I mean, I had questions for all these Justice Department guys. I had questions for Bill Barr. What took you so long to resign? Why didn't you resign earlier? But, you know, the Capitol Police were half-staffed on January 6th. Pelosi's House Sergeant-at-Arms denied multiple requests for National Guard assistance from the Pentagon. The United States Capitol Police Chief in the days leading up to January 6th, officers were poorly equipped, had insufficient riot shields and helmets. They were never trained to handle a riot, even after the riots of 2020. And on and on and on. We'll be right back. Mark in. Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest. I was nervous at first, thinking... Well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand, the 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. 
So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Yes, indeed. Federal authorities searched the home of Jeffrey Clark, who most of us never heard of before. Um, and he was the... I, I wonder, these three men who testified today, particularly this guy, Donahue, who seemed to relish it, they're praised as great patriots. Now, these men had been in the law a long time. Not one of them said, look, I'm going to give you my opinion. I'm going to tell you what I saw take place or what I feel took place. But I do have to say, as the former acting attorney general of the United States, or I do have to say, as the former deputy attorney general of the United States, or the other guy, I do have to say, as the former janitor on the third floor, whatever he was, that this proceeding is truly problematic. We didn't hear Barr say that. We didn't hear Rosen say that. We didn't hear Donahue say that. And we didn't hear uh, Schmagegi say that. Even if they feel very, very strongly, and even if they're testifying truthfully. They're being used as pawns. Now, I have to conclude, and I hate to say this, that either they're perfectly happy with that, perfectly happy with that, or they're caught in the limelight, and they like it. And they like it. I don't know if they were subpoenaed to testify today or not. Either way, shouldn't you say, I'm going to make a number of statements today, and these are, by all accounts, I'm telling you the truth. But I do have to say that Mr. Clark's not here, and so-and-so's not here to provide their input and so forth. I just want to make that clear. They don't say any of that. Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest. I was nervous at first, thinking, well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand. The 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Mark Levin, America's passionately cerebral voice. 
Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. Let me show you how this works, folks. This is in Politico. We talked at some length the first hour about this Supreme Court decision involving your Second Amendment rights. So here's a piece now in Politico by Josh Gersten. Politico is a left-wing platform. But nonetheless, two of the lawyers responsible for a major victory for gun rights forces at the Supreme Court today are parting with their prominent law firm after the firm announced it would no longer handle Second Amendment litigation. Former Solicitor General Paul Clement and Aaron Murphy, a regular Supreme Court litigator, said they were launching their own firm after Chicago-based Kirkland and Ellis decided to step back from gun-related litigation. Clement said in a statement, we were given a stark choice, either withdraw from ongoing representations or withdraw from the firm. Anyone who knows us and our views regarding professional responsibility and client loyalty knows there was only one course open to us. We could not abandon ongoing representations just because a client's position is unpopular in some circles, quote-unquote. Through a firm spokesperson, Kirkland confirmed its decision but did not explain its rationale for dropping gun cases. A key attorney at Kirkland, John Ballas, said he hoped the firm could continue to work with Clement and Murphy on matters not related to guns. See how that works? The announcements, which appeared coordinated, emerged on the same day as the Supreme Court ruled 6-3 to three to strike down New York's law limiting concealed carry permits to those who can demonstrate a proper purpose to have such weapons outside the home. That is a very sleazy way to spin it. Clement argued the case before the justices in November, and Murphy's name appeared immediately below Clement's on the briefs. His departure from Kirkland and Ellis echoes a similar episode about a decade ago when he left Atlanta-based King and Spaulding after the firm moved to distance itself from Clement's work to preserve the Defense of Marriage Act, a federal law banning benefits for same-sex couples. You can represent Marxists who want to overthrow the country. You can represent mass murders. Everything in between. But you, when you represent a principled constitutional position originally supported by the framers, or when you represent people of faith, and I could go on and on, now you're controversial. <coughs> Excuse me, now you're controversial. So the law firm wants nothing to do with you. Increasingly, society and our culture are so stacked. And I know how angry you are. I am, I am ready to blow blood vessels all over the place. I watch this hearing and how the process is so corrupt. I see how they destroy the oil industry and the energy industry, and then they blame the oil industry and the energy industry. It's just such so lousy. Let me get into this here. At the Federalist, investigators Pelosi responsible for January 6th security breakdown 
U.S. Capitol by Jordan Boyd. And this is why she's appointed the, uh, the seven reprobates from her own party and two from the Republican Party to this committee. Again, if there was some kind of balance on this committee, somebody would have been asking about this. What is the purpose of this committee? Why aren't we focused on this? We're going to get into the Republican Party and we're going to get into Donald Trump and his quote-unquote role. How come we're not looking into Russia collusion and Hillary Clinton and her role? How come we're not looking into Mark Elias and the Perkins Coie Law Firm and other Democrats and law firms that sued all over the country to change the rules to help Biden? How come we're not, how come we're not interviewing under oath Mark Zuckerberg and the $417 million that he spent to influence the election of this, there's no question. How come we're not interviewing the Supreme Court justices, those elected in Pennsylvania, to talk to them about how they violated the federal constitution? That's what a real hearing would look like, ladies and gentlemen. But no, 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 it's Trump and the Republicans. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi shoulders much of the blame for the security breakdown at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. A preliminary report from Republican investigator Representatives Jim Banks and Rodney Davis determined the Capitol Police were half-staffed on January 6. Pelosi's House Sergeant-at-Arms denied multiple requests for National Guard assistance from the Pentagon. And the Capitol Police Chief in the days leading up to January 6, officers were poorly equipped and had insufficient riot shields and helmets. They were trained, and they were never trained to handle a riot even after the riots of 2020, the investigation shows. Now, the Republicans' full report, now why is it just Republicans? Because the Democrats wouldn't do it. The Republicans' full report is not slated to be released for a few weeks. But Banks and Davis said the hyperpartisan January 6th committee's attempt to present a slanted viewpoint as if it were impartial fact prompted them to release their findings that will help Americans understand the extent of the committee's misrepresentations and omissions. He said the committee has lied and made numerous unsupported and disputed claims that have been thoughtlessly parroted by their media and fact-checking allies said Banks and Davis, and Davis is no friend of Trump's. No Republican-appointed members serve on the committee, and no minority rights have been granted or observed by the committee. Those breaches of House rules have led Administration Committee ranking member Representative Rodney Davis, who's done a hell of a good job on this, by the way, to announce that there will be an investigation of the J-6 committee itself once Republicans take control of the House, as they are expected to following the November elections. It's so damn important you get out and vote and you make sure everybody you know does the same. Despite the J6 committee's attempts to blame the Capitol riot on former President Donald Trump and election integrity supporters, writes uh, the uh, Federalists, the GOP members found that Pelosi was responsible for Capitol security according to House rules. And has led the Democrat majority for years, repeatedly failed to implement necessary improvements to the Capitol security system. You know why? Because she hates the cops. Her base hates the cops. She couldn't be seen bringing in the National Guard or muscling up the cops. Right? And she called them Nazis, stormtroopers in the past. This inaction left the Capitol unnecessarily vulnerable, Banks and Davis noted. 
Banks and Davis pointed to an after-action report from Capitol Police showing that the law enforcement department reorganized its intelligence without authorization, which left it without essential open-source intelligence capabilities and caused staffing changes that may have contributed to the tragedy on January 6th. And in light of the information, Banks and Davis added that the Capitol Police Intelligence Unit had knowledge of the potential for violence, yet failed to adequately communicate the threat or take the necessary steps to protect the Capitol. How is it that a relative handful of Republicans with a small staff can pull this information together? But the January 6th committee has no interest in it whatsoever. We know why. Despite these shortcomings, the Republicans found that even though the Capitol Police Union largely voted it had no confidence in its intelligence division supervisor, that supervisor was promoted to acting chief following the Capitol riot. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy had picked Banks and Representative Jim Jordan to represent Republicans on the committee last year, but they were promptly booted off by Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, who implied the GOP would hamper a quote-unquote comprehensive investigation into the Capitol riot. Now, Banks, Jordan Davis, and the two other Republicans who were poised to join the Democrats' show trial committee before McCarthy pulled them out are leading their own investigation into the Capitol security breach that reviews information hardly touched by Pelosi's picks or are running the show trial. Banks noted in a recent interview with PBS NewsHour that despite gathering more than 100,000 pages of evidence, the J6 committee has, quote, only selectively offered the American people a very small part of it, unquote. He said, never forget that this select committee has already been caught altering evidence. They had to apologize for it. It's dishonorable that this isn't a bipartisan effort to give the American people the facts and the findings. Banks has repeatedly criticized Pelosi's handpicked committee as a political witch hunt focused on slandering conservatives, especially those who express concerns about election integrity, instead of getting to the bottom of what really happened on January 6th. Republicans were denied the right to meaningful, meaningfully participate in the Democrat show trial, he said. But as you know, the five of us are leading our own independent investigation into the total breakdown of security at the Capitol. Our mission is to answer simple questions about what happened that day that Democrats have ignored. Jordan Boyd, Federalist. And she says it exactly right. It's 100% correct. And this committee is a character assassination committee. Again, I don't know Jeff Clark, but you may think you know Jeff Clark after this hearing, but you don't know Jeff Clark. This guy must be sitting at home. The feds raided his house. I guess yesterday it was. On national TV, he's being just brutalized by Rosen, Donahue, and uh, the other schlub who was sitting there. And at least these men of the law, so-called, could have at least said one sentence or two sentences or said we have a footnote here that we do not abide by this process. We're forced to comply with it, but we don't abide it. Now, let me tell you what happened. That's all they had to say, but they didn't. That's all Barr had to say, but he didn't. 
I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest, I was nervous at first thinking, well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand. The 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Now, the good news is this. Nobody cares about this committee. Nobody. Except the people on the committee, Democrat operatives, Democrat donors, and the radicals in their base who are pushing the hell out of it. You and I are using our tax dollars to fund this. This is not a legitimate proceeding. And the criminalization of this, which is at the top of the list, this is their priority, this is what they tell us, is an abomination to everything this country stands for. Yes, when and if the Republicans take the House, I will reiterate, As others are now saying in and out of Congress, they will need to investigate the activities of this committee. They will want to get the text messages, emails, and other documents. They will want to interview people under oath about what Nancy Pelosi was doing with our tax dollars. And I'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Did you know withdrawing your cash from the bank can be very risky? That's right. Banks are now required to spy on us for the government and they report any behavior they think is suspicious. It's true. And I was shocked when I read the secret war on cash from Swiss America. The new war against cash is really a war against the Constitution, against all freedom-loving Americans. So you need to read the war on cash. Get your free copy by calling 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492. Or visit SwissAmerica.com. Now, this war on cash is growing daily and also includes all forms of digital money. Please get and read The Secret War on Cash free to my listeners by calling now, 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Ladies and gentlemen. You know, we really ought to thank the Democrat Party, the media, 
all their special interest groups. I mean, they actually were able to install in the Oval Office a man who has growing dementia. And they didn't give a damn about this country. His wife, Dr. Jill, knows he has it. And I don't say this to mock him. He knows, they know he has it. His family knows it. Every single reporter in that White House press room knows it. And they've told other reporters and editors and opinion writers in their own media outlets. Every member of Congress who's ever talked to him or met with him knows it. Any phony comedian like Jimmy Kimmel and Bits there on TV, they know it. And of course, we know it. He has a popularity rating of 36% or so. I think it's uh, down there with Putin. Over right scoop. Breaking. Biden mistakenly reveals instructions given to him. And it reads as if he's a complete idiot. You'll say, Mark, we already know this. No, no, no. But this this underscores the problem. Because Joe Biden actually is going to run for re-election, you see. Because the people around him want him to run for re-election, like Susan Rice and so forth, the invisible hands behind Joe. Joe Biden was in a meeting today and held up a note with instructions on it while he was talking. And the media caught a close-up of the note, and it is the most bizarre thing you've ever seen, writes our friend Brian at Right Scoop. Not only is the leader of the free world told who he'd be talking to, he's literally told to enter the room and sit down as if he's a complete idiot. On the back of the note, they have special note cards now. It says the president at the top, offshore wind drop-by sequence of events, first bullet. You enter the Roosevelt Room and say hello to participants. Second bullet. You take your seat. Third bullet. Press enters. Fourth bullet. You give brief comments. Parentheses, two minutes. Next bullet. Press departs. Next bullet, you ask Liz Schuler, President AFL-CIO, a question. Note, Liz is joining virtually. Next bullet, you thank participants. Next bullet, you depart. Now, we don't get to see the other side of the card. Maybe it says, next bullet. You go to the men's room, not the ladies' room. Next bullet. Make sure you pull your pants down before you take a crap. Next bullet. Well, I don't want to get into the details. Now, this is a problem in so many ways and at so many levels. It really is. Foreign leaders, they know he's a mess. They know he's a mess. Other people are running this running this presidency. And here's the thing. If it wasn't for Liz Cheney and Adam Kingsinger and this January 6th crap, if it wasn't for Nancy Pelosi and her fascism, if it wasn't for all this and the corrupt media, there'd be a focus on this president, not the last president. There'd be a focus on 
this guy's mental well-being. And it's not good. There'd be a focus on the 25th Amendment as applies to him. There'd be a focus on impeachment for his multiple violations of federal law, whether it's immigration and so forth, on this president. He's the president now. Like it or not, there he is. There'd be a special counsel investigating his whole damn corrupt family and their ties to the communist China. Instead, you got this guy, Jeff Clark, where they show up at his house and they take his electronic devices, according to news reports. In the case of Hunter Biden, they're trying to find his electronic devices and give them back to him. So this is what we have. The Manchurian candidate with has literally... His brain isn't functioning. His brain isn't functioning. And we have the purpose of the 25th Amendment, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly for this. Exactly for this. That's what it's for. Instead, we got to hear uh, testimony from former Justice Department officials without any, without any pushback. There's a good editorial... Not so much an editorial by a gentleman by the name of Robert Leiter in the Wall Street Journal about this phony gun bill. The Senate gun bill is terrible. Liberals and conservatives alike should oppose it. When mass shootings such as Uvalde happen, a rallying cry emerges for Congress to do something, anything, to prevent such tragedies in the future. On Tuesday, senators introduced the so-called Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, their effort to do something. But when your soul rallying cries to do something, the thing you do may be worse than the status quo. This act is a terrible bill, and in its current form, it ought to be defeated by a bipartisan political coalition of Congress. Liberals should hate the bill because most of its gun control provisions are antithetical to their criminal justice reform agenda. The law expands the categories of those to whom it is unlawful to sell a gun or ammunition to include anyone convicted of a felony as a juvenile. This will ensnare many because the modern definition of a felony is exceptionally broad and includes offenses that aren't particularly serious. The bill also changes the federal prohibition on selling firearms to those who have been involuntarily committed to a mental institution. And while it excludes involuntary commitments before the age of 16, the bill significantly strengthens the enforcement of the prohibition against those involuntarily committed between 16 and 18, how many people involuntarily committed to a mental institution have committed acts of mass murder? I'm just curious. We should be cautious before we make it impossible for children to live normal adult lives. As liberals often point out, particularly when the death penalty is involved, children and teenagers lack maturity and impulse control. The gun ban would have significant racial and socioeconomic disparities. Wealthy communities will find ways around the gun ban for their children, having robust pretrial diversion programs that don't result in technical convictions, accessing pardons through the political process, and hiring lawyers to expunge convictions. In poorer communities, children will simply be forced to take pleas that will forever alter their futures, and it goes on. Conservatives and gun owners should hate the bill, too. Gun owners who have committed juvenile indiscretions will find that they are no longer able to purchase firearms or ammunition. The bill also has strange technical defects. It prohibits the sale of guns and ammunition to those convicted of juvenile offenses, 
but it doesn't explicitly ban possession, a loophole that someone will clamor to close later. For adults who have involuntarily commitments before they were 16, the reverse is true. The bill allows firearms to be sold to them, but it doesn't decriminalize their possession of a firearm. Anyway, it goes on. By failing to define dating relationship adequately, Congress is effectively delegating that critical question of who falls within this ban. To whom it is delegating the hard details remains to be determined. Is it the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco? Uh, excuse me, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives? The courts? Unelected bureaucrats? What a mess. But don't worry, it's bipartisan. Anything with the word buy in it is to be endorsed as a civil right. So it's bipartisan, so it's got to be great. What a bunch of meatheads. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Ladies and gentlemen, my wife participates in an organization brought it to my attention that is absolutely fantastic it's an organization that deserves a heck of a lot more national attention and effectively what it is it is an organization that supports and promotes and celebrates young people who sign up for the United States military typically out of high school and the man who began this organization again I it's fantastic is Ken Hartman of Our Community Salutes. Ken, how are you, my friend? Mark, it is a pleasure and honor to be on your program tonight. Well, it is a great honor for me and my family, and I want you to tell the American people about Our Community Salutes. Sure. So you had it right. Uh, Fourteen years ago, I recognized when I was serving on our local school board here in South Jersey, and that's a whole other nightmare story. But in any case, yeah, right. I recognized at that time that... We were doing nothing to recognize the other kids who were graduating from high school and who were enlisting directly in the military. I'm an old soldier myself, but I was an officer. So I held a dinner for all the kids in our community back then, uh, 14 years ago. And now 14 years later, we have our community salute ceremonies all over the country. And not only do we recognize these young people who are enlisting in the military, but we also educate them on the U.S. Constitution because they've taken a sacred oath, as you, we all know, to protect and defend it. So it's, it's a twofer. It is giving them and their moms and dads that, that recognition that they rightfully deserve. After all, only 23% of all high school seniors could even qualify to serve in the military these days. And as you know, and I know you've talked about it, we have a we face a major national security crisis right now as our military is unable to enlist enough young people to fill its ranks. So that's what we do. We have ceremonies. We educate them. We celebrate them. We educate them on the U.S. Constitution. And you're really an organization that is budding in the sense that you're beginning to expand. You want to reach into every community in the country in order to acknowledge, salute, and honor these young people, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, two things. One, uh, we rely on the generosity of Americans to support our ceremonies, our educational programs. Uh, so, yes, we have hundreds of volunteers that, that, that do this and people who are interested 
in uh, starting our community salute ceremony can simply come to our website at ocsusa.org. But we have one other special and very important event, and that is our virtual thank you card. And on our website at ocsusa.org, we have a card, a virtual card, that our goal is to get one million Americans to go to that card before the 4th of July, for obvious reasons, and sign that card so that these young men and women these, these, you know, less than 1% of all high school graduates and their moms and dads know that their country stands behind their decision to serve. So they can come to the website, learn more about us. They can come to our website and support us. We, we are tax, you know, we are tax, we are a nonprofit tax organization, so they can get a deduction. But immediately they can go and sign the virtual thank you card so that these kids know that uh, they support their decision. You know, it's amazing, Ken Hartman, of our community salutes. That's OCSUSA.org. What's amazing is, until my wife made me aware of you, I didn't know these things didn't exist. In other words, kids just go off and so forth, and they don't get the the attention, and they don't get the appreciation they deserve. How long? I mean... They don't. How, what We're is the, the only, kind of response you get when you, when you when you do these it's, events? It's amazing. Uh, you know, it, it's absolutely the, one of the most emotional experiences that anybody attends um, because you see. I mean, kids who are D one athletes have their signing days. Kids who are certainly going off to colleges have all sorts of receptions by the college. These kids. These kids have taken an oath to defend our Constitution who are willing to stand in the watchtower so that their classmates have the freedoms to pursue their dreams. And yet they get they oftentimes don't even mention that graduation. Mm -hmm. So this is the night where they come out with their moms and dads and grandmothers and they get recognized. They get honored. Our our dinner recently in South Jersey, Pete Hegseth, was one of our our speakers that evening. Um, And. the bottom line, too, is that the kids who come to our event, nearly 100% of them actually get on the bus and report. And again, I go back to the, the notion that not since 1973, when we stopped the draft in this country, has our nation faced such a dangerous situation. So, uh, you know, we, we rely on these young Americans to support our Constitution, and, and we better damn well make sure that they understand that we've got their backs. Well, we have a very patriotic audience here. Many have served, many have not. And um, what you're asking us to do is very simple. Go to your website, sign the the petition thanking them. Let's see if we can get a million people by July 4th, mm-hmm. which means we have to start now. And yes. also ask for some support so you can spread this celebration across the country for young people throughout the country who are joining the military, correct? Correct. It cost us about about $40 to throw a, a dinner and a ceremony, give them a, you know, all the materials that we give them, the, and, and educate them on the Constitution, because they're certainly not getting that. $40 each, each young man and woman, right? Correct. So for $40, you can sponsor, if you will, uh, a, a young man or woman. Uh, that will be going into the military. Again, only about 150,000 kids do this every year, fewer and fewer every year, as, as we all know. So um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's important. So they can go there, sign the virtual card. They can go there and, and, and make a, a tax-deductible donation. 
uh, knowing that uh, these people are our last defense when it comes to our liberties, and we need to make sure that they know that they're behind them, that we're behind them. And you know what's amazing, Ken Hartman? It's this. There's so many young people who are directionless. There's so many young people who've been brainwashed through school to hate this country, and they'll go in the streets, and they'll be violent even in opposition to it. So many young people who've been brainwashed by this movement or that movement and so forth, and yet these young people, whether it's because they're, it's intuitive, whether it's because of the way they're raised or whatever, these young people, they muscle through it, they love their country, they're volunteering to serve, despite all the negative counterwinds. And that's why what you're doing is so darn important. And that's why I'm hoping, I'm hoping you folks in the audience, you patriotic Levinites, let's recognize these kids or these young men and these young women. Let's sign that card. Go to OCSUSA.org. That's for our community salutes. OCSUSA.org. Mr. Producer, make sure it's everywhere. Let's have a Levin surge right now. A Levin surge. Can we do this? A Levin surge. Let's get onto this website. Let's sign that card. Let's get to a million as fast as we can. And those of you who are having difficulty making ends meet, I got it. Those of you who can spare a little bit, leave a few bucks so they can actually take the actions needed to help these kids. Ken Hartman, I want to thank you, my friend, in this fantastic organization of yours. God bless you, Mark. Thank you very much for all your support and and encouragement. Thank you, my friend. That's our community salutes. And my beautiful, wonderful wife is involved in this, too. It's a very, very important group. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin-Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This is the Ministry of Truth. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Yellow, yellow, yellow. What a fantastic group, folks. What a fantastic group. Just to reiterate, that was Ken Hartman. The guy really worked so hard to get this off the ground and to 
acknowledge the young people who are going into the military right out of high school. It's our community salutes, and you can go to ocsusa.org. Please do. Please sign the card. We have already in this family. I just want to encourage you to do it. It doesn't take a lot of time. OCS, that's for our community salutes, USA.org. OCSUSA.org. And if you're able, if not, I got it. If you're able, you can make tax-deductible uh, contribution. Now, this is what drives me crazy. You look at a group like this that really is a charitable, nonprofit, nonpartisan organization under the 501c3 part of the Internal Revenue Code. Then you look at a group like Media Matters, which is staffed by Democrats and leftists, which has as its entire purpose to destroy the reputations of anyone with whom they disagree. Got a lot of startup money from Soros. They get a lot of dark money, a fortune. Their budget's like $14 million a year. I don't know where all that goes. That would be interesting. And yet they are in the same tax status as our community salutes. A 501c3 organization and donations to that group are tax deductible as if they're a charity. When everybody knows what they are. Isn't that awful? Something's wrong with our tax code. Somebody needs to look at that come the Republicans also this time around. They really need to look at groups like this and see if they should be getting a tax-exempt, charitable, nonprofit status through which billionaires and millionaires launder their money to, to try and destroy people they disagree with. It's very anti-ethical uh, to our Republican system. But Ken Hartman, ourcommunitysalutes.org, OCSUSA.org. That's where I'd like you to go. Let's make this a Levin search, can we? In a very, very positive way. OCSUSA.org. I think of all these young people who are being brainwashed to hate the country, wind up in the streets in 2020. Many of them are going to be in the streets, if not tomorrow, soon thereafter, when the Supreme Court issues an outstanding ruling related to abortion. Basically, the court's going to say, it's none of our business. Oh, no, it's our business. You better do this. And then you have these young people who, despite all the brainwashing and indoctrination attempts, despite all the lousy, corrupt media on TV all the time, despite all these counter-influences in their lives, because of the way they were raised, or their faith, or their intuition, or all of it, they're patriots. They're patriots, and nobody celebrates them. Nobody even acknowledges them. But this group does. And Pete Hegseth is a board member of this group. And you know what a great hero he is. So go to, I really want us to hit the millions, signing them a card. July 4th is really close. Please help us out here. Please help us out. OCSUSA.org. Our community salutes is what it is. OCSUSA.org. If you can... Leave them a few dollars, too. And remember, keep the information. It's tax deductible. 
All right, folks. I don't know how much more of this we can take, but we'll take a little bit of it. Amy Klobuchar. Remember Amy Klobuchar? They treat her like she's just fantastic. But remember, what was it, a year or two ago, when there were news reports of how she brutalizes her staff? <laughs> These people, always behind the scene. They're real sleazeballs. But not Amy. No, 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 no. And, of course, she's on the Constipated News Network. That's where everybody goes when they're constipated, or at least they look constipated. And she's saying what they're all saying. Cut six, go. So to start with something that's going to save lives, even if a particular provision wouldn't have saved their own baby's lives, that is an act of love and generosity of spirit that you hear from the families of those that have lost loved ones. That's why we're moving ahead. And I think it actually paves the way in the future to look at some of these other provisions. It's never enough, don't you see? They could disarm you 100%. Then they'd say, no, people are using knives. People are using frying pans. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. This is a first step. Now, guns are highly, highly regulated throughout the country by localities, by states, even by the federal government. It's the most highly regulated of the Bill of Rights. Think about that. It's the most highly regulated of your rights under the Bill of Rights. And they keep pretending it's not because the ruling class is the failure. The leadership and law enforcement failed in Texas. Many failures by high tech, by a hospital, by others. In Buffalo, in Parkland, another failure. Deputy police officers hiding behind a, uh, a column that holds up the school <clears throat> for 40 minutes while kids are being shot and killed. This bill won't do a damn thing about any of it. And as the author in the Wall Street Journal piece said, it's so ambiguous. We don't even know what they're talking about. And individual liberties are going to be under attack and on and on and on. But it doesn't matter. We deal in sibboleths. You know what a sibboleth is, Mr. Producer? Or shibboleths, I should say. Look it up. We deal in shibboleths. We deal in, well, pseudo-events. That phrase is absolutely apropos here. We deal in pseudo-events. Pseudo-event being what? Oh, look at this. We're passing something. It's going to have an effect. No, it's not. That's why it's a first step. What's the last step? Does anybody even ask? What is the next one and the one and the one after? What's step number nine in your uh, step process? We don't know. It's like energy. We're transitioning. So I just want you to know that these Republicans who vote for it are completely selling you out in order to promote themselves. Before we do that, I want to get the Mike Lee on Fox News yesterday on the Ingram show. Cut seven. Go. The red flag laws kind of on the face of it sounds like it's okay. Well, if someone's a danger, but. Isn't the problem when you give block grants to states to enact these red flag laws and administer them? 
What constitutes a danger? Could it be a posting that if you disagree on climate change? I mean, I don't know, depending on who the the judge happens to be. This is one of the problems with what Mark Levin describes as crony federalism, where Congress doesn't want to legislate in an area. So we'll pay the states to do it. And we'll pay the states to do it in a way that gives us plausible deniability from whatever bad things they do. This doesn't contain any restrictions on their ability to infringe on due process, on Second Amendment rights. They could allow a coworker anonymously to report someone they don't like. And in some states, that would suffice. You know, this is why Mike Lee is so smart, and he's my buddy, too. I write about crony federalism and liberty and tyranny. That book is almost 13 years old, and he read it, and he doesn't forget a thing. The guy's a genius, doesn't forget a damn thing. And he's also the uh, North Star, isn't he? In so many ways. By the way, no, I better not say that. It'll all be picked up and sent all over the world. You know how it gets, Mr. Producer, if I say anything about anything. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. I'm thinking about something. All these cases that are brought in the District of Columbia. Why? The second most powerful court, we're told, the D.C. Court of Appeals in Washington, D.C. So much power in Washington, D.C., the Supreme Court and the D.C. Court of Appeals. And then all these major federal criminal charges brought where? Well, all over the country, but so many of them brought in D.C., in front of Democrat judges, Democrat juries. How is that fair? How is that constitutional? You know, we have fixed over the years this issue of juries because we had really an unconscionable situation where you would have, say, a black person who's on trial and the entire jury's white. And this may occur in sort of a racist area. Well, that was unacceptable, and it should be unacceptable. That's not a jury appears for that defendant. Not just because of color, just because of the whole history of the situation. Now, in Washington, D.C., you have a guy who gets off, uh, even though the evidence is right in front of everybody's faces, and you have... Jurors, several jurors who were donating to the Clinton campaign, one juror who donated to Ayak's campaign, another juror whose daughter was on the same team, the same sports team as the defendant's daughter. And then the judge in the case was a long time, more than acquaintance, even a friend with the defendant at one point when they both worked at the Department of Justice. Isn't that incredible? The judge doesn't voluntarily recuse. And uh, no problem with the jury. Now, where can that happen for a Republican in Washington, D.C.? could never happen. It almost seems like every case that's brought in Washington, D.C. against Donald Trump, he loses. Seems that way. Whether it's his tax returns or executive privilege or whatever. They just lose. They pile up. They lose. Which means pretty much every case the other side brings, they seem to win. 
They expanded the D.C. Court of Appeals, you know, when Obama was president and Harry Reid was president of the, uh, excuse me, uh, majority leader in the Senate. They added a couple seats just to, just for good measure. And then quickly filled them with a couple more knuckleheads. We don't fight this way. Mitch McConnell's too good for this. He's too busy trying to destroy the conservative base. He's too busy. What are you going to do if the Republicans win this? Bipartisanship. Shut up, you idiot. Marble mouth. That's right, I said it. How dare you? No, how dare him? So here's my idea. Needs to be refined. But we move these cases out of Washington, D.C. Because you can't have a fair trial. Equity. You can't have an equitable trial, whatever that means. But you understand. The equal application of justice, anyway. You can't have that when Republicans or non-Democrats are tried by a jury poll picked from a city, a city, that votes 92% Democrat. Now, you know, everybody associated with Donald Trump in Washington, D.C. is not going to get a fair trial. That's just the way it is. The politics is, is just too skewed. It's too skewed. It's nothing to do with race. Everything to do with ideology and party affiliation. So the House of Representatives, the Judiciary Committee, hopefully, hopefully they'll win. I don't know, but hopefully, hopefully they'll destroy the Democrats in the next election. It's up to you. If you elect these phony moderates, they won't. Oh, there's Goshheimer, whatever, Goshheimer Schmidt there. In uh, in Northern Virginia, that guy, he's on the bipartisan uh, group of, uh, he's a hack. He pretends. But hopefully what will happen is they're going to look at this and say, you know what? There's no reason by happenstance all these cases have to be tried in Washington, D.C. Now, remember what I've told you. Only the Supreme Court is named specifically in the Constitution. The other courts were created by Congress and there's no reason why only those courts are used to try all these cases. Really needs to be given some thought. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel. We salute our truck driver friends and our Ucrainian friends. Don't forget OCSUSA.org. Please sign the card. OCSUSA.org. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless.